Welcome to Future Perspectives, the Locarno Film Festival podcast presented by UBS. I'm your host, Gabby Sanderson, and I'm here to talk with international film stars, upcoming talent, and industry game changers. Over the Future Perspectives series, you will discover secret stories and inspiring perspectives on the future of cinema culture and society. So let's begin. This is Future Spectives. Are you comfy? We, I am. Are you good? Yes. Excellent. Kelly Reichart, welcome to the Future Spectives podcast. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. And I'm going to jump straight in. Okay. Your body of work, Lonely People, Failed by American Capitalism, often in communion with nature, is a running theme within your work. You describe your films as stories in which characters have to make only one mistake to see themselves sunk. Mm-hmm. It's so relatable. Would you agree? Living on a, um, living on a shoestring. Yeah. That mistake, you know, that one thing and then everything can change. Yes, I'm trying to think of that uh, applies in all the films, maybe to maybe to different degrees, but not having a security net, I think, is certainly uh, it probably uh, rides through the the film, mm. um, and uh, yeah, getting um, n- not having a lot of room for bad choices. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's a a yeah. theme. I'm trying to think of the film. Well, here we're showing um, Meek's cutoff in uh, Night Moves. And Night Moves is a little different than that, where uh, the protagonists are a little bit more, uh, well, they they make a big mistake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's uh, quite, uh, you know, it's pretty radical choices that they make. They're environmentalist and they um, are uh, sort of at their wits end and uh, uh, do a, a, a very radical act mm. um, with re- without really considering the repercussions. And so they're a little bit more, uh, for a while at least, uh, choosing their destiny. Mm. Well, speaking of Meeks Kotov, it's playing right now at the Palachinema behind us. Right, so no one's listening to this because <laughs> they're second. all at the theatre. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about First Cow, based on Jonathan Raymond's novel The Half-Life, which has no cow in it. How and why did you and Jonathan end up inventing what would become the central character? Ah, yeah, the the novel has no uh, cow in it, but the film, yes, becomes uh, based around a cow uh, in her milk. Uh, I can't remember actually how this uh, came about, but for a long time, uh, John Raymond and I had been uh, thinking about how his novel could possibly become a, a film that I could sort of wrap my arms around, you know, because my mm. this spans of time in my films is maybe a week or two, and his novel spanned four decades and had a trip to China in it, and it takes place in 1845, so it's a, a trip by sea to China. Mm. And, um, and so uh, the cow uh, kind of became this the vehicle for how we could stick with the themes of John's book and the characters that we wanted uh, to stay in play, but allowed more for the economy of my filmmaking. Mm. It first opened at the Locarno Film Festival in 2020. 
it virtually opened it up, of course. How frustrating was it to work tirelessly on a project and you're getting ready to show it to people mm. and see their reactions and then boom, the world goes into lockdown? I know, it was very um, frustrating because we actually finished the film and then held it for six months to wait for the right time to release it. And then um, we released it, you know, uh, three days before the the closing of theaters. So it was quite frustrating, but, um, you know, there were more tragic things happening in the world. So you could, yeah. could only complain about it to my closest friends. <laughs> right. uh, but it was, you know, it was a, a, it was really kind of sad because we really imagined it on the screen. And I think most people in that saw it ended up seeing it on their television though it's been playing around in France for a while now which is mm. fortunate mm. so it's having a little theater life and is it nice two years later to come to Locarno and see the Piazza Grande and humans again finally <laughs> yeah and I've been hearing about Locarno for such a long time from uh, Todd Haynes it's always been a favorite festival of his and so to finally get to come well because you mentioned Todd Haynes he instigated the union between you and Michelle Williams who's been in four mm. Um, of your projects, she said in an interview, you are a friend who doesn't miss a beat, who sees the world with a sharp sense of humour. She said, whenever you ask her to do anything, the answer is always yes. And she's often or maybe not necessarily read it. But as mm. soon as it's like working with you, it's like, yes. And that seems mm. to me from an outsider's point of view, at least that that's not necessarily the typical way a director actor relationship works. And this is more yeah. of a collaborative partnership. It is. It, it's very collaborative. And um, it's very lucky for me that she's so gung-ho. Um, so, yeah, and it's been just great uh, spanning now a couple decades of being able to be apart and come back and work together and mm -hmm. um, really see how much she's evolved and keeps evolving as an actor and keeps the bar raised really high mm. in working with her um but she's uh yeah she's always game and she's uh completely open to whatever the experience is gonna be so yeah. um it sort of sets the vibe uh for the whole thing yeah and she's come a long yeah. way since Dawson's Creek yeah she wouldn't even <laughs> probably like you to mention that oh okay we'll cut yeah, that out no then. no we'll it's okay she's <laughs> no, but, I mean, but she is yeah but it she's is that a, good an actress that you know that was really established and sometimes you do yeah. just get remembered when you're in a popular yeah. tv show but she's not she's definitely you know she, she keeps it's her body of work yeah, now you she know? keeps finding um new access to whatever character she gets brought to her. Yeah, she's still growing somehow, yeah. Hmm. Animals are part of your movies. How difficult is it to shoot an animal and, and, and direct them? Can you right. direct an animal? No, no. they direct you. Yeah. See, that would be another Michelle Williams quote is uh, uh, that I once picked up in a magazine um, where she said, uh, you know, Kelly only cares if the animal gets it right. And if the animal gets it right, that's I it. I did see that, actually. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And um, in fairness, she was talking about oxen, and it is really hard to get an oxen to do anything. <laughs> so, um, but, um, yeah, it, it is more that the crew and who the actors have to adapt to the animals. Right. Um, yeah, we have to um, change our way of uh, working our uh, 
become quieter and stiller and move more slowly. And really, um, for the crew, it's one thing, adjusting to horses and cows and uh, all these creatures. Um, we kind of have to relearn it every time where we go, oh, yeah, right. But for the actors, I think, um, you know, it's more, it's just another being to uh, kind of react to. And so yeah. it keeps keeps everyone, you know... From acting because you're, they're responding to a live creature that's doing right. whatever they're doing. Yeah. Right. Well, I brought uh -huh. it up because I wanted to segue into a quote from you. While you're making a film, you're letting go of everything you had planned and you're opening yourself up to the living thing that's in front of you. So in a way, you've got to kind of relinquish control. Is that why you like to edit your films yourself to take back some of that command and the narrative? Uh that's maybe part of it. It uh, it really just kind of flowed that way in the early days. I really couldn't afford an editor, so I oh, and okay. um, and in my years where I wasn't really able to get a feature made, I was kind of practicing for if I ever did get another film made. And so um, I sort of learned to find uh, the films. Uh, in my own way through cutting and then eventually you kind of start to figure out how you want to shoot by cutting mm -hmm. and so it's a sort of ongoing conversation with yourself I guess and so at this point I really do enjoy that process so much and look forward to getting uh, to the time like you say where you're back alone with the project and it's more in your hands and mm -hmm. uh, you say okay like what do we it was that film we set out to make, and now I'm going to sit here and deal with this film we made and see what that mm -hmm. is. And you talked about the start, and I know there was a quite a gap in between, and this, again, is going to lead me into my next question. Focusing on characters on the margins of society who are usually not represented on screen, that are faced with ec economic hardships, and you've said you refuse to romanticise your characters and their struggles. You want to basically tell it like it is. You let female stories take the lead and the system failing them to some degree? Yeah, um, I wouldn't like to sum up all the films as being the same because they're really each their own story. And I, I should say I've made quite a lot of them from the writings of John Raymond. And uh, he lives close to you, he? lives he? blocks away from me, yes. <laughs> and that was another person I met through Todd Haynes. Oh, and, okay. Yeah, so... Um, I'd like to be at that dinner party. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, we all live very close to each other. And Todd and uh, John have worked together. But, you know, so a lot of these uh, stories are the seeds of them are coming from a collaboration with John or from a story that John's brought to me. And so... It's hard for me to look at them as how they are with each other, these films, mm -hmm. because I, you know, you just kind of mm -hmm. get involved in the film you're making and the character that's in front of you and whatever task they're. I mean, the female characters certainly aren't perfect people by any mm -hmm. stretch of the uh, way. They're uh, hopefully, yeah, hopefully yeah. there's differences. I mean, there are, you know, things obviously that keep reoccurring and you go, oh, yeah, there I am again, but hopefully. Yeah, I, I, mean, I guess I bring this up and I don't want mm. to stay too long on it because mm. I know you've talked about it a lot from from when you you made your first film and it took it was 11 years until the next one and you mm. said being a female in the industry, it sort of closed doors, you know, it was it was really, really tough. And, and my kind of follow-up to that is 
you know, your work is very thought provoking and it's intelligent and it's sophisticated and it's quiet art. And and I wonder if, you know, you'd have been pitching rom-coms or action movies. Would mm. the gender think you think not? Would I that- don't think at the time it would have matter though I do think that there I also think that I was never very skilled in all those things of pitching and all those things there are other parts of filmmaking that are involved that I was had uh, no skill in and uh, one lucky thing that happened to me aside from meeting Jonathan Raymond was uh, coming uh, into a relationship with my producers Neil Kopp and Anish Sabjani who have produced all the films I've made in, since uh, my first film. And they really have all those skills that I was lacking and um, and still lack to a large degree. Mm-hmm. Well, not all of them. Some of them you learn. But uh, so that um, take has, that has uh, helped shift this. Mm-hmm. Uh, the I mean, I've had a lucky, uh, very nice run of being able to make a lot of films in the mm-hmm. last uh however many years it's been yeah so it's harder yeah. to prove yourself isn't it as a female and that's still a challenge that for sure you know we of still course. face female to female here without yeah for sure for yeah sure uh you say you're a nuts and bolts person you need to be working on a project and kind of ironically to sort of escape the mundane stuff which you make into your art in some degree um, well, just to have something to do with when you wake up, uh, to something to focus on. Um, uh, I do like to have a project, just uh, something that, yeah, to focus on and that you have yeah. to, that call, you know, consumes you and uh, takes all your attention when you're not doing, otherwise I would just, uh, you know, worry about the mail all day long and, <laughs> right. the, you know, whatever it is. Uh, so to not let the small things in life, the nagging things take over. But then, yes, that's what ends up being about. Um, so, yeah. Last question. Future Perspectives is about honouring and reflecting on the past, but on all, also an opportunity to look towards the future through the lens of all that has been before you in your careers. So to wrap up this conversation, how do you want your body of work and future work to challenge and persuade people's beliefs and viewpoints? Oh gosh, gee, I don't, um, I don't know if art really does that so much, you know, and I don't really, I mean, for me, the dream would be that someone uh, leaves the theater with their friend and they have both seen it differently and Mm -hmm. would, you know, maybe have something to talk about when they go eat afterwards, uh, you know, that it wouldn't be, um, I don't know, I've never tried to make a message film. Mm-hmm. I think uh, it's, uh, so yeah, I guess I, I would, uh, I hope the films sort of bring up questions more yeah. than anything. Spark yeah. debates. Yeah. yeah. Kelly Rykop, thank you so thank much you for talking so much. to me today. I appreciate it. Thank I really you. appreciate yeah. it too. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Future Perspectives, the Locarno Film Festival podcast presented by UBS. If you enjoyed this episode, you can support Future Perspectives with your review and subscribe on all the major podcast platforms. This series is created and produced by Brand Audio Media.